Well, hey, I ain't preaching today, all right? But I do want to intro our preacher. This is my man right here, Juhan Kim. Y'all give it up for him. Let's go. If you're new, if you don't know, uh, Juhan's actually our new church planning resident, uh, and he'll be here with us for about the next year uh, on staff, kind of learning and growing. What does it look like to plant a church? Uh, and then after that, uh, we'll spend about a year kind of ready to launch a church. And so when we say we're serious about church planning, we mean that. Uh, we have Josh Guerrero, who's about to plant uh, here in just a couple of months. And then uh, Juhan stepping on as a new resident. And, uh, man, I got to spend a ton of time with Juhan last week. He went with me uh, on this excursion to uh, Michigan. And, y'all, Juhan hooked me up. We were driving past this, uh, this little building. Yeah. And he stopped and he looked and he was like, Hey, 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 go back. Look at that. And I just looked, and it was just this, like, little Asian restaurant. I would have never thought anything about it. And he was like, yo, that's a lost art. We got to go eat there. <laughs> and he took me, y'all, and it was fire. It was so good. <laughs> and so not only am I glad because he hooked a brother up with a new culture that I wasn't familiar with, yes, uh, but you are as a man of God. And he loves Jesus, and he is serious about Jesus, and I'm excited uh, about what he's going to do. And so, man, we're serious about church planning. I hope that a year and a half from now, when he's about to launch, that some of us in here, we go with him, and we kind of help establish a new work in a different part of the city. And so I know you all already gave it up for him, but I want you to give it up for him again. Man, get, say what's up to you, Ron. Oh, love you, brother. Thanks, brother. Man, um... Forget ACL. <laughs> I mean, uh, I just got to say that because that worship session was fire. I, I don't know if you guys felt it, but, man, I just felt the presence of God. And, uh, man, yeah, forget ACL because I'd rather be here in worship. Um, fam, my name is Juhan, like you said. Um, you guys can call me whatever you like. Uh, my people call me p which stands for Pastor Juhan. Um, I know it's cute. Um, <laughs> You know, Tori sometimes calls me Juju. I don't know where he gets that from. Uh, but, yeah, my name is uh, Juan Kim. I am the church planning resident, as he said. And, man, I'm excited to be here. Um, we're visioning and planning to plant in North Austin. Um, so, man, if you guys have a vision and a heart for North Austin, holler at your boy. We can get some bomb soup dumplings. Uh, get some. Uh, that's what he ate, by the way, is those soup dumplings. He didn't even know. I don't know if he said it. Um, but, yeah, let's go get some soup dumplings and, and some bomb Asian food, and we'll get at it. Um, yes, yes, yes. So um, we are continuing our vision series this week, and we're focusing on who we are as a church family. We're looking at the core convictions on what makes up the DNA here at The Well. So we spent uh, three or four weeks on the first one, which is exalt, and exalt God. What does it mean uh, to have um, and, and to exalt God. And Adam last week preached on what it means to be a spirit-empowered church. And in all of these, what it means to exalt God through the person, the work of Jesus, and through the spirit who is our advocator and helper. And now we're going to take a shift this next three weeks as we now look at what it means to respond to the exaltation of God. What it means to respond to the exaltation of God. And we're going to look at what it means to be disciples, but not only be disciples, but to make disciples. And I think, I think, if I'm going to be honest, when we think of the word disciple, I think we have this internal ideal of what it means to be disciple. And, and I think if we begin to understand and look at what the Bible really says about making disciples, there's an action of going out to reach the world. 
And brothers and sisters, that's going to be the challenge that we have today. Christ says, go in action and make an action disciples, missional of all nations. And as a church, are we concerned about making disciples? Are we concerned about reaching the nations? Are we concerned about reaching the lost? Because here's a tragedy. If your worship to God only extends in the gatherings and sometimes during CG, then we're really missing the point. It's only when we're able to be salt and light of the world wherever we go that we are really radiating the beauty of Jesus as we are true disciples and making true disciples. So that's going to be the direction that we're going to go. How is it that we're going to represent and show Jesus? We're only going to address the need of others only after we come to recognize and confess our own great need. So that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at Isaiah 6. And Isaiah 6 is a powerful passage, the imagery of God as he begins to encounter a holy and almighty God and his response to that. So if you have your Bibles, will you turn to um, Isaiah chapter 6? If you are new here and you do not have a Bible, will you please raise your hand? And the ushers will come and uh, we want to give you guys a free Bible. Um, so ushers, will you come and, and get it? And, and, and here at the well, we want to be a people that are that are in the word and on the word, that our nose is in the word. So, um, yes, please, please, that's our gift to you. Please take that. Um, and also, I know Tori always says that um, if you want a better Bible to go to www.amazon.com, um, you can do that. Or you can just holler at my boy. I'm sure he'll buy you a nice Bible. <laughs> Natalie's looking at me and be like, oh, man, you're about to make us bankrupt. <laughs> um, but also, if you have your phone on you, you can go to the Version app, and this is going to be the link for the event and you can follow along and take notes um, as we uh, begin to read into God's Word. So let's turn our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. Um, Isaiah is going to be in the middle of your Bible. Just open up in the middle. You'll probably hit Isaiah. This is what the Word of the Lord says. It says this. In the year that King Uzziah died... It says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two we covered his face, and with two we covered his feet, and with two we flew. And the one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Isaiah says, I said, woe is me. For I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then it says that one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from the tongs of the altar. And it says he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sins atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am. Send this is the word of the Lord. Um, will you guys do me a favor? Will you guys? <laughs> I 
I guess that's, that means no. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, will you guys do me a favor, and will you guys just spend some time praying for me? I just really pray that God would do a work in my life and in my heart, that these words that I'm about to preach will not be my words, but that I'll stand on the authority of his word and only his word. So will you guys do me a favor and really just pray for your man as I preach God's word. Father, would you do a work? Father, I pray that as I begin to unpack Isaiah 6, that your holiness will be displayed this morning. That I will not add anything to the throne room that says that you are holy and you are above all things. So, Father, I pray that you would use me nothing but a mouthpiece of the infinite beauty of the glory of your word. Let these words not be mine. And, Father, would you do a work in my heart? That even as I preach these words, that you would penetrate my heart and convict my heart. So, Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for all things. We love you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let me um, set it up a little bit and let me give some background information. So here is Isaiah, who is a prophet, and he probably went to the temple to worship all the time. So he was a prophet that went to worship all the time, and he is someone who regularly practiced religion, but this whole time, he missed God. And it's at this moment, Isaiah encounters something that is far beyond anything that he could imagine. It is his first encounter with an almighty, living, holy God. And that's going to be our transitions today. I want us to feel the weight of Isaiah feeling the holiness of God. So my three transition, guys, I'm a little Presbyterian. Um, I don't, like Tori doesn't, I don't know if he does, but I like to do three-point sermons just because I'm Presbyterian. Um, not four-point sermon, but a three-point sermon. Uh, so my three transitions today are going to be this. It's going to be, um, we see Isaiah who he, he encounters God. His encounter with God leads to his encounter with self, which leads to his encounter with grace. Okay, let me repeat that. I got you guys. I got your OCD people that love notes. His encounter with God leads himself with, into his encounter with self and ultimately leads to his encounter with grace. So the first point, his encounter with God. Uh, man, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I had a different illustration for the first gathering, but uh, my wife is sitting here and I... Um, just want some brownie points, and I just want to uh, lift her up and, and talk a little bit about her. So I'm going to change up this illustration. Hopefully it works out. Um, I remember when, I got, when we got married um, in our wedding day, and uh, I remember, like, we had this day planned out, and obviously, like, she got up early in the morning to get prepped and ready, and uh, she was at a house with her bridesmaids, and I think they woke up at like 6 or 7. I woke up at like 2 p.m. or something, um, and it took me literally like five minutes to get ready. Uh, but I remember like getting ready, and um, I had to slow everything down because you know those pictures, you know they're made up, like you're putting on your tux and stuff, and like, and, like it's all, you know, like for guys, it takes like literally a minute. Right, but for the picture, you got to pretend that you're doing it all slow. They're all fake, by the way, um, for those of you that are not married. But I remember doing that, and I remember looking in the mirror, and I'm like, "Man, I look good." 
Maybe I'll look good and I'll look handsome. No, just kidding. I just had to throw it out there. Um, and I remember thinking that. And then I remember, like, what was next on the agenda was our first look. And Christine had um, told me, she was like, you know, John, um, you, know, you know, are you going to cry? <laughs> and, and, guys, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not a crier. I'm not a crier. There's something in me that doesn't, like, I, I don't know what it is. And maybe I just don't have a heart. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm not a crier. So I was like, no, don't expect me to cry. That's what I told her. I was like, don't expect me to cry. And she was like, I think she was a little disappointed. And, you know, and, and, and I was like, yeah, okay, I'm not going to cry. And I remember, so we, the guys get there, we got there a little early. We're taking pictures. And um, it was the first look. And, and the place was beautiful because we got married in Massachusetts. Um, and it was a beautiful, like, backdrop with our seminary and stuff. And I remember looking this way and um, all the bridesmaids and um, the groomsmen were standing there. And I remember they were looking at me, and they were like, oh, yeah, you look handsome. And I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and I remember, like, they were all focusing on me and looking at me. And then all of a sudden, I see their faces. And starting with the bridesmaids, they just, like, they took their eyes off of me and instantly looked behind me. And they were in awe and wonder. And then I remember, I remember I looked at my brother, and my brother just started tearing up. And he looked, and, and I saw it, and I remember in an instant, at that single moment, like, I just started crying. And I'm not talking about crying, but I'm talking about ugly crying, y'all. There's a difference, right? There's a difference. And I remember, because I remember at that moment, um, the emotions and who, and who I was and what I felt didn't matter. Because I knew what this moment represented. That this moment was beyond myself. But this moment was a, a representation of the bride of Christ. And I remember reflecting on the beauty of, of who Jesus is and what he came to do and accomplish. And I remember at a single moment, I literally became undone. And I couldn't, like, it was so embarrassing because on the video, I'm, like, crying. I'm looking down. I'm crying. And I'm, like, I couldn't turn around, right? So I was, like, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn around. I'm going to turn around, okay? And then, you know, she's, like, sitting there, like, hitting my back, like, oh, you know what's going on? And, I, you know, like, I'm turning around, and I see my beautiful wife. And literally, literally, I just became undone. Literally. I knew that I didn't deserve, and I still don't deserve your love, but yet God graciously has given her as a wife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Y'all, tonight's going to be a good night for, for us. Um, anyways, sorry. Okay. And I remember, I remember. <laughs> Man, such a better illustration. I don't know why I didn't go there the first gathering. Anyways, it captured every emotion that I had. I was in awe of the beauty of my wife and what she represented. And nothing compared to it. No pictures, nothing can bring justice to what I experienced at that moment. And I think, and I think that's what Isaiah experienced. I think that's what Isaiah experiences. What does it say, verse 1? It says this. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died... I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, and it says high and lifted up, and it says the train of his robe filled the temple. Now think about this, right? Who's King Uzziah? 
And what is, so Israel at this time was divided into two kingdoms. There was a southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. And the southern kingdom was ruled by a string of incompetent kings. So there was failure after failure after failure, except for a couple kings, and Uzziah was one of them. Uzziah represented prosperity. He stood up to enemies, right? He was, uh, it was a king who would conquer enemies, and, and he was um, somebody that, that everybody adored and loved because he represented safety for the people of God. And it says, and toward his life, end of his life, he contracted leprosy. And you can imagine that Israel was in great turmoil. They were in panic because of the uncertainty of the kingdom. Asking the question, what is going to happen and who will be our king? And Isaiah probably was a little bit uh, in a panic going to the temple to pray for the future. And everything was being shaken up. And I can only imagine Isaiah was feeling anxious. And although Isaiah was probably going to pray for the people before anything else, God wanted to establish that he encounters a holy And it is the holiness and the encounter with God that changed everything. Notice, here in the passage it says this. He goes into the temple and it says, high and lifted up. And it's it's, it's, as if God is saying, I sit above all creation, above all kings, and above all the universe. Right now, Israel is shaking up, and you don't know what's going to happen. But God is saying, there's nothing that's beyond me, nothing that shakes me. I see all, I know all. He sees the throne of God, which is high and lifted up, saying, a kingdom that reigns, a kingdom that is above all things, a kingdom that says, when all else fails and there's chaos, it will not be shaken. And as if God is saying, your kings may come, your kings may go, but I am the king of kings, and I will forever, ever, ever remain. That's what he's showing. And Isaiah sees this glorious image of God, and Isaiah literally gets the wind knocked out of him. He sees God seated on a throne and lifted up, and it's so glorious that even God's robe, the tail end of the robe, fills the temple, fills the temple down the stairs and out the door, and all Isaiah can do is be in awe. That's a room this size, and God's tail end of his robe fills it up, and Isaiah literally falls to the ground. Man, if I'm going to be honest, a little bit of me, a little bit of me is a little upset at Isaiah at this point. Because I'm like, man, Isaiah, there's not a lot of encounters of this throne room that are written in Scripture. And you encountered the throne room of God. And I'm like looking at this and I'm like, why don't you explain the throne room? Why don't you explain the seat that God is sitting on, right? Why don't you explain the gold and the rubies and all these things that God is sitting on? And I think, and I think Isaiah stops here because I think Isaiah's silence here tells you more about the glory of God than any other words can say. That this presence of the throne room is so beyond who he is that he is scared to look up because the beauty of the holy God would utterly destroy him. He knows that God is glorious and beautiful, and he dares not look at the glory of God. So the only thing he can do is look down. That is how holy, holy, holy our God is. 
So what does he do? What does he do? He turns towards something else. He turns to something else. Verse 2 says this. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. And with two he covered his face. And with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, 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 the Lord of hosts. And it says, the whole earth is full of his glory. So Isaiah turns because he can't look at the holiness of God. So he turns his face and he sees these angelic beings, which literally means burning ones. These angelic beings for all eternity who are flying. They, it says two cover their, their face and two they covered with their feet. And they're, they're flying. And the only thing they're saying is, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And even they, even they could not look at the holiness of God. Think about that. These angelic beings, what I imagine is these angelic beings and the holiness of God being displayed. And they couldn't even look at the holiness of God. Because they're so powerful, that God is so powerful that they cover their faces because they feel like they're going to be utterly destroyed at the presence of God. Because look at what it says. Look at what it says. It says, it says, um, and one called to another. Not even to God. Why? Because they're not looking at God because of his holiness. It's as if the holiness of God is displayed so powerfully that these angels are looking at one another and they're saying, holy, 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 holy is the Lord God. That is the question I need to ask. These angels who are always in the presence of God, they probably are in the presence of God all the time. Even they, even they are in awe of God. And the question I have is this. Have you encountered this God? This is the God that Isaiah experienced. Have you had a similar experience just as Isaiah has? Now, I don't know about you, but coming in this morning and coming early, God didn't lift me up and see a throne room where I saw these angels and these angelic beings. He's going, but I think, I think so many times we have this view of God that we are just not impressed. We don't understand the magnitude of how holy, how almighty, and how just our God is. We've gone to church all of our lives, and in all of our dealings with church, it's sad to say that we have not experienced this God. So many times we think God is like a genie. That, that God that we say, hey, if I come to church, I give my offering, I tithe a little, I don't drink, I don't do this. If I read my Bible now and then, then I've met you, God. And we say that God will give me what I want and what I need, and we don't think about the holiness of God. In fact, when Moses commissioned, uh, when Moses was commissioned out to free the Israelites from Egypt, what happens? He says, who, who should I say that sent me? What does God say? He says, I am who I am. We don't worship a slim shady God that says, I am whatever you say I am. But God says, I am who I am. 
What do you make God out to be? A God that you say, or a God of Isaiah 6? I had to throw a little Slim Shady in there. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it is. Isaiah begins to understand it's God the creator, the maker, sustainer of everything. He spoke and literally light comes out. The very mountains are made by God. The very atoms and molecules that are in our body are created by God. He is the sustainer. He is the maker. He is the creator. In fact, in verse 4, the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. The house was filled with smoke. The scene that Isaiah begins to experience is a holy, almighty God that is above all. And it's because Isaiah experiences a holy God that Isaiah really begins to encounter himself. And it's only when you experience a holy God that you can really see who you are. He encounters self. My second point, encounter with self. It is through this encounter with God, being in the presence of a holy just, that brings Isaiah utterly to his knees. And he begins to say to himself in verse 5, what does it say? He says, woe is me. It says, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. No one talks like that anymore, right? Whoa, it's me, right? And it's funny because if you read a lot of encounters with God, a lot of people will write something like this. A lot of people will say, like, oh, man, I felt warm inside. There was a love that encompassed me. I forgot all my problems. I knew my life would be okay. And don't get me wrong. There is a sense of love that is experienced when you meet God, but it goes beyond that. See, Isaiah here in this passage, when he encounters God, he literally is becoming undone. He literally is being destroyed. When he says, woe is me, he's literally being destroyed. Think about that for a second. He's a prophet. He preached the word of God to kings. He was someone who was close to God. And when he encounters God, he is literally destroyed. When we experience the holy God, where do you hide? If there was an ever-present light, where would your darkness hide? Where would you hide? So when Isaiah realizes the only thing he can imagine is that he is one of unclean lips, and he literally is destroyed and being destroyed in front of a holy God. You know what's crazy? It's crazy because all forms of things that Isaiah can even claim as righteous come to a screeching halt. Even the things that he did in a good way or intended for good comes to a dead end. And so many times, aren't we like this? We trick our hearts to think that we are better than we are. I don't know how many times I look at my life and I say, in the end of the day, I'm not that bad. And I I may not say that when I preach, but in my heart, that's what I say. I don't go out drinking or partying. I used to, but I'm not anymore. I'm faithful to my wife. I go to church on Sunday. I have all these meetings where I'm meeting with people to talk about God. And I began to define who I am, not in the God that I worship, but the title. But when you think and dwell on the holiness of God, you have to realize that there's nothing I can claim that is mine. Compared to a holy God, you need to realize that even our righteousness, not just sins, becomes nothing. 
And you come to a point, and even when you look at the sinners of sinners, that you are no better than any person. And there's an utter brokenness, and it brings a helplessness that says what? I need a Savior. I need a Savior. And it's a hard pill to swallow, but we begin to encounter ourselves. And in the depths of sin in our lives, and the brokenness that I love myself and my throne more than I love God and his throne. And I want to make a throne of myself more than I want to worship the throne of God who is worthy of worship. And we begin to trick our hearts in saying that. But when you encounter a holy God, the only thing that you can do is to fall on your knees and say, God, I have no answer. I'm at the mercy of your throne. And that's what Isaiah does. Verse 5, woe is me for I am lost, for I'm a man of unclean lips. And what does it say? I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. I think, I think if we read too fast, we miss something here. Notice the first thing Isaiah does is look at his own heart before he looks at the people's hearts. Because we have to pay attention to that. We do the opposite, right? We look at the world and we look at what we need to do as Christians to really reach the world. And we don't say what is wrong with me. We say what is wrong with the world. And when you encounter God, you begin to encounter self. And when you encounter self, you begin to clearly see and begin to understand the need of the world. It does not happen the other way around. You can't do it the other way around. How can we help others when we don't properly see ourselves? And fam, we do this all the time. We look at others, and it's so easy to judge and to begin to see what is wrong with people without looking at ourselves first. Isaiah encounters God, and right from there, not even looking at others, he encounters himself. He was a prophet who was concerned about the Israelites, knew that there needed to be a change. But before anything else, Isaiah begins to encounter self. And he looks at his heart and life and begins to realize that he can't amount to anything. And that he is at the mercy of a holy God. And it's only then that our man Isaiah begins to encounter grace. Have you experienced and encountered a holy God that leads you into Encountering yourself and seeing who you are, that leads you to encountering grace. Verse 6, it says this. Then one of the seraphim flew to me. Hold up, y'all. I need to drink some water. Sorry. I know I look silly with this, but this is the best thing ever. I'm all about the hydroflask family. Okay. Encountering grace. This is verse 6. It says this. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from the tongs of the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, what, behold, this has touched your lips. It says, your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Now, let's try to imagine what Isaiah is going through, right? At this very moment, he sees the presence of God. He sees his heart and he literally is becoming undone because of the holiness of God. And all of a sudden, as he's looking at these angels who are flying, who are burning, okay, remember that. They're burning ones. They're burning. And this angel goes to the altar and he grabs tongs and grabs an altar and starts flying to Isaiah. I don't know about you guys, but if I was Isaiah in there and I saw an angel coming to me, man, I would pee a little bit. Actually, I'm going to be honest with y'all. I know you guys think I'm all hard or gangster. I'm not. I would pee, poop, and throw up a little bit. Because <laughs> what would I be thinking? 
I, the only thought that I would be thinking was, man, I'm doomed. This is the end. Peace out, world. It's been good. But this is it for me. And you would think that that's the response that he gets. That's actually what he deserves. But know what happens. Even though Isaiah deserves death, what does he do? He receives utter grace. He receives forgiveness for his past sin. Here Isaiah is encountering Jesus before Jesus even came on the scene. There's an utter dependence on God that God would what bring salvation. There's an utter dependence that God has an answer. The utter dependence that says, God, at this point, I do not know what to do, but I just have to trust in you. At this moment, Isaiah is at the mercy of something that is greater than him. He is at the mercy of a holy, almighty God. And friends, where do you cast your mercy. Where do you cast yourself when you need mercy? A throne that is built by man, or would you rather be in the mercy of a holy, just God? Because here, Isaiah, who should be destroyed, is experiencing the love of grace. Notice, not at any point does Isaiah say that he needs to do better. And I think that's what I probably would do. If the angel's coming to me and he's coming with this burning coal, and I would be like, oh, I'm sorry, God. You know what? You know, I won't, I won't lie. I won't do this. I'll treat my wife better. I'll, I'll do the dishes. I'm sorry. And you'll think that that's the response he does. But no, what does he do? He says, I'm a sinner. And in that dependence, he's almost crying out. And all what happens, the angel comes to Isaiah. He doesn't go to the angel. The angel comes to him. What is God showing? God is showing that in his loving, almighty holiness that he would provide a way. This is a glimpse of what is to come. Because there will be a day, and there will be a day, a God, that God would have an answer to the cry of his people who need a Savior. His answer would be that God would send his son Jesus, and this Jesus, who was from the beginning of time, where the throne room, the angels are singing of his glory, is this very Jesus that leaves the throne room where angels are singing for his glory of all eternity. A Jesus who's worthy of all worship, that one day would leave his throne and what would take on flesh. Where in Jesus, literally the throne of God comes down to be with his people. And Jesus, who knows, who knows there needs to be a Savior, would take upon himself our sins, what, to be nailed to a cross. For our sake, he made him, what, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, what, we might become the righteousness of God. And instead of us who deserve to be destroyed, what would happen? Jesus would go to the cross and his body would literally be destroyed at the very holiness and the wrath of God would be poured upon his one and only son to pay the price for those that believe that we will receive utter grace. How deep, how deep the Father's love for us. That would be displayed by giving his only son to make a wretched treasure. Brothers and sisters, do you see what happens in Christ? A holy God that is seated upon the throne where all angels sing, where people can't even look at him. This holy God has to see his son 
literally be broken. So that we, his people, are saved. Isaiah experiences utter sweet grace. He casts his fears, anxiety, and sin at the throne of God. And instead of being destroyed, what does God do? He shows him grace. Where do you cast your fears, anxiety, and sin? Isaiah goes to the temple to pray and encounters grace. And in that grace, Isaiah receives what? The freedom that says that he is more loved than he ever knew. Christianity is the only religion where it's not something that we need to do to achieve salvation. But that God, a holy God, would send the answer to us in the death and the resurrection of his son. That every other religion is us trying to go up. And here is God who comes down. See, Isaiah begins to understand that this is the only story that he ever wants to tell. We just sing. We just sing. That in my father's house is a place for me. Think about that. And what that means and the promise of what that means is that we as God's people get to be ushered into the presence of God, into his throne room. Because his son literally came down to save. See, if we say our identity is found in God and our worth is in the cross and the death and resurrection, then why is it that our life doesn't reflect Jesus? Are we scared? Are we scared? It's because Isaiah's encounter with God, encounter with himself, ultimate encounter with grace, that the only thing he can do is respond. And what does verse 8 say? It says this. And it says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. Brothers and sisters, what story do you want to share? A story that saves? What story do you want to proclaim? Because he understood. He understands the only story that is worth sharing is Jesus. Brothers and sisters, there's boldness to that. As I was preparing for the sermon, um, you know, Tori wanted me to share a little bit of my testimony, and, and then we kind of went back, and we're like, actually, never mind, let's not do that. But I want to I I do something really here real quick. If I'm going to be honest with you, I'm a wretched sinner. I am. And I know that because of my story and a little bit about myself. Like, I, uh, growing up, was an ex-gangbanger or a gangster or a gang star or whatever you want to say. Like, you can still see that I'm a little bit hood in my life. I still be rocking those J's and doing all these things, even though I met, like, an innocent and great and gentle wife. Like, man, as Tori says, yeah, your man was wretched. And I was like that. Didn't graduate high school. Expelled from high school. Got arrested for GTA, which is Grand Theft Auto. I used to have straps. I used to sell drugs. I have friends who died from drive-bys. I have all these things. And I, the reason why I didn't want to share my testimony was because I think when I share my testimony, a lot of us think, like, man, I don't, I don't have a story like that. I don't have a story that has a 180-degree change. And here's the thing. Brothers and sisters, I think you're missing the point. You're missing the point because even in my testimony, it is not my story to share. The only thing that I can proclaim is the gospel. And brothers and sisters, the gospel is not boring. Your life and what God has done for you is not boring. 
The God that is mighty to save, a God that will love us to send his son to usher you and change your identity and bring you to him, that we're ushered, that he would have a place for us. How is that boring? What is the response that Isaiah has? He encounters grace, and the only thing, this same person that says, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. When God calls him, what does he do? He says, I'm here, send me. Why? Because it's not his story to tell, but it's God's story that he begins to have rest and wants to share. And brothers and sisters, that's where the boldness comes. We don't want strategies to go and reach the lost. The people don't need strategies. What do they need? They need Jesus. Will you proclaim Jesus? There is a boldness to the story. There is a boldness to who you are and all that you do. That they, This is God's story. And there's confidence in that. My prayer for my life is that we would be more in love with Jesus today than we are yesterday. And in that, and in that, and in that, the world, again, doesn't need a strategic plan, but they just need Jesus. And then in every conversation that I have, the only thing that I can boast on, the only thing that I want to live for, the only thing that I want to proclaim is the love that we have in God that would love us so much that he would send his son to die for us. That is the strategic plan. Will you show the world Jesus? Brothers and sisters, I hope that you're convicted. I hope that there's a heart in that. And I want to lead us into a time of prayer as, as the worship team comes up. I want you to really just begin to ask your life, what do you make your life out to? A story of your throne or the story of God's throne? You would make much of Jesus. So take some time to reflect on your life. And ask God for boldness to say, God, I want to make your name great and only your name great. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you. Because God, if I'm going to be honest, even myself, as I reflect on your holiness, there are so many times that I have to admit and confess that I'm not impressed. Why? Because of my sin. I make you into a God that is fit into human terms. But just as you told Moses, you, that you are who you are. And Father, I pray that as I begin to reflect on your holiness and your justice and who you are, O oh Lord, that I will fall on my knees and say, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. And in that holiness that I begin to experience grace. And I can taste that grace because I know, I know, I know it's not something that I deserve. So Father, I pray that just as we're about to sing, that we will reflect on how great your love is for us. How great is your love for us that a holy and just God will see his son to be crucified for our sins. Father, I pray that that would be the living hope, that would be the anthem that we sing on, that we would stand on that solid foundation and nothing else. So Father, we thank you for all that you do. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name.